This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. And then I just was like, <sighs> and I was like, if that cut then, great cold yeah, open. perfect. Like just a great cold open. Some films are mediocre, so bad they make you moan. We're here to save the cinema, we do try this at home. Welcome to another episode of Do Try This at Home, the podcast where we do try at home to rewrite average movies, movies that are uh, cinematic disappointments. Um, I'm joined as always by the incredible, the incomparable Harrison Gale. How are you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing fabulously after that introduction. Oh, wow. That was okay. a big self-esteem boost. That's that's how little it takes. Just yeah. like say yeah. that I'm great and then I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it's been, for the listeners, this will have been a mere week uh, between times. But yeah. we haven't actually recorded an episode in like a good like two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. Just let, let it all go to the wayside. Um, how you been? How have I been? I've been all right. Well, to be quite honest, um, I think part of that has been because I, I took on a second job. Um, so I've been a little more busy than usual, but now I'm in, in the swing of things and, um, you know, make, making a little extra cash on the side, never hurt. Um, you know, in general, Just feeling, always hustling, always hustling. you know Gale. me, that's the grind. I, I wake up every morning and I say to myself, rise and grind. And <laughs> that's, that's me. I put like, um, oh, like good. a, like a bicep emoji at the end of yeah. everything I write. <laughs> that's how i'm doing how You're, are how are you doing yeah i'm uh yeah i'm all right yeah all in all i i'm pretty good you know you just keep going looking forward to freedom at some point soon hopefully uh although you Fingers know just heard more news about vaccine delays and uh harrison we're in the midst of netflix season oh yeah you thought i was gonna say like a pandemic or I don't know. I don't know. What else are we in the midst of? A lot of things. It feels like um, <laughs> the past year and a half has just been everything <laughs> happening at the same time. Yeah. And we're just in the midst of it. Yeah. We're just in the midst of it. Like, I, I think every once in a while, I'll I'll think back to like a little bit over a year from now, like even before the pan- pandemic mm. started, and I'll think back to like January 2020, and I'll remember that mm. three days in, the U.S. almost started a nuclear war with Iran, mm. and that's how yeah, we started. Yeah. And that wasn't even going to be uh, the biggest those, thing to happen that year. Those heady days. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, how I long for the halcyon days <laughs> Of being on the yeah. brink of nuclear war, but <laughs> being able to blast particles at my friends. <laughs> oh, how I love um, for it. No, we're, we're in the midst of Netflix season here on Do Try This at Home. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've covered um, your classic Groundhog Day wedding mashup. <laughs> love yeah. wedding repeat. Uh, last week we covered with a dear friend of the pod, uh, Rob Merriam, we covered Six Underground, the the Michael Bay uh, <sighs> horror show that it was. I don't even want to and, think and about so it. And so this week, um, we just thought we'd pump the brakes a little and we'd just settle in for a trip with the gals 
to wine country. Mm-hmm. Going, going to wine country. <laughs> going to wine country. Wine Yeehaw. country was released on uh, on Netflix in 2019. It's directed by Amy Poehler and it stars Amy Poehler, uh, Rachel Dratch, Anna. I'm gonna Anna, Anna Gasteyer. <laughs> Gasteyer, I'm I'm like that's Gasteyer, but it's Gasteyer. You, Anna Gasteyer. You exoticized it a little bit more. Yeah, Maya Rudolph. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I know how to say that. You're very tired. Uh, Maya Rudolph, Paula Powell, uh, Emily Spivy, Spivy, I Sp- believe. Yeah, Spivy, Emily Spivy, Tina Fey, Jason Schwartzman, and <laughs> a surprise cameo from Brene Brown. Yeah, that was <laughs> cool. I guess <laughs> this film is. Hot garbage. No. <laughs> I think you disliked it more than I did. Yes. First time I watched this, it was fine. I remember just being like, okay, it's pr- you know, it's pretty inoffensive. It's pretty watchable. Uh, this time around, I, r- I really struggled with it. I really just was like, this is, this is not good. Um, mm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, I agree with you, get- <laughs> but I think, I think to a different extent yeah okay um, um well we'll get into it this is the letterbox summary because we decided that doing plots on this takes way too long yeah <laughs> wine country friendship is a trip a group of friends head to the land of oaky chardonnays and big bold cabernet sauvignons for one member of the squad's 50th oh my goodness <laughs> for one member of the squad's 50th birthday party yeah, you know it's going to be rough when they refer to the group of characters as the squad. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I am hesitant to just basically give this a film a bad review and that'd be the whole podcast because uh, that's not what we do. Right. I, I, think, I think maybe I can convince you that it has more promise than you think it does right now well okay yeah well we we like to start with we like to start with positives that we might want to keep i mean i as a as a general concept and i'm not against like a comedy about a group of middle-aged women going to wine country to sort of reconnect as a group of friends that does not bother me and i quite like Mm -hmm. that as a premise for something that that should be a slightly more laid back slightly more uh, mellow comedy in the style of the most exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, Have you seen that? No, I haven't, but I've heard really great things about it. Yeah, I, I think you can have a bit more energy than that because um, yeah. that one's like really about old people. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, this, this film that maybe like starts off feeling like it's this slightly more laid back comedy, and then just like ramps up as time goes on. Whereas what this film did for me was it started like bolshy and and. Uh, broad at the get-go and then just sort of petered out as time went on yeah (laughs) would you say that's fair to say yeah i think like i don't know i think the 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 setup was promising and again like with a lot of these films they have a promising premise a solid setup and then as they i i would say it got exponentially weaker as it hit the halfway mark yes yeah 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 Um, absolutely because i i think um you know, I think the performances from all the actors are quite good, um, but the especially the second half and and the ending felt to me a little half baked in the sense that it was yeah. like a it was like a first or second draft where like the basic 
plot elements are in place, but they're still missing motivations. You know, characters are yeah. doing things yeah. that don't really seem like they're tracking uh, with their behavior. Um, you know, there's a whole scene toward the end where I felt like I didn't understand where it was coming from or why it was happening. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I don't say that to, like yes, just to be yeah. a jerk, but like that quite no, literally no, no. was how I, I felt yeah. about it. I was like, "Whoa, why is this happening?" But I, I, I think I've got, I've got the do try this at home uh, bingo card in front of me. Yeah, I'm ticking <laughs> off so much. Half baked first draft, promising premise. The cast are all doing good work, but they're not given enough. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this, there. Are, it's it's funny how so many of these films have similar problems. Um. Yeah. But yeah. um. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, there were... I, I don't think that this also had enough laughs as it should have for being a comedy. I felt like, yeah, you know, this was... The end result was more veering towards the comedy drama territory, but that's not yeah, the, yeah. the way that... Not only that it was, like, sold or presented, but also, like, the tone of the film is not... Yes. If the yeah. tone of the film is, like, broad comedy, and yet what's happening is, like, it's a comedy drama. So there's, like, this yes. disconnect between, um, you know, the events and how they're being treated, but not in a way that's like, oh, well, we're deliberately trying to be absurd. Like, nothing ever hits that level yeah. of absurdity. And it, rather than feeling like it's a deliberate choice, it just feels, like, messy. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to... I guess ask if we if we just you know launch straight into thinking about what we would do with it. Um, would would you punch up the script to aim for a like a broad comedy and like really push into that, try and up the laugh rate and try and make it funnier, or would you settle into okay, this isn't going to be you know a laugh every single minute, but actually what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to lean on comedy drama and we're going to make something of a cast that are all comic performers, but I think all have the chops to, to give a little bit of drama that's convincing. Mm -hmm. And and do you do you sort of like uh, that way and think, okay, yeah, we could get something out of this that is a good comedy drama that has something to say about uh, this generation of women and like how they feel about life right now. It, it feels like it has the elements in place to be more of a comedy drama because like you know there's elements of like you know trying like finding out if you have the gene for breast cancer and um yeah. you know coping with a collapsing marriage and you know losing your job and and those things can be part of a of a broad comedy but i think also in my personal taste like i know this is going to be an extremely hot take we might lose one of our five <laughs> listeners for me saying this <laughs> Um, but, uh, I was not a fan at all of Bridesmaids and, oh, okay. um, there's I've, a lot to be of honest, overlap. I'm gonna, we're going to lose another one of our, um, we're going to lose another one of our five listeners. I've not seen Bridesmaids. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now we're going to three. Good job. us. Really, uh, whittled down the listener base here, but, um, Bridesmaids, I would say, I mean, even people who like it can't deny that it's quite raunchy. And in your yeah. face, and I think in many ways it is, or it's trying to be, like, the female hangover. The hangover. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's fine to try, but I also think, like, it's also good to make your movie its own thing, rather than being, like, the female yes. whatever. Yeah. Like, just make your own movie. You know, do your own thing. So I think I think to me make this movie, like, you know, re really unique in how it's portraying the relationships between 
older women who yeah. have this, you know, really deep friendship but have drifted apart. I think, you know, if you're going to include, and I think in, you know, in our in our reviews and and um, our rewrites, I do try to keep as as many of the core elements as possible. I think if you want to keep as many of those things, you're going to have to make it a comedy drama. Um, yeah. Because this is it's it's character driven. I think you know the plot is yeah, really not the strong suit. And broad comedies that are trying to be you know laugh a minute. I think their um, uh, scaffolding is on plot because it's about putting yes. characters in crazy situations and seeing how they react to them. But the core of yeah. this film is how these six women are interacting with each other. And if I had my way, yeah. it wouldn't be six of them. But that's that's an edit that I'll, I'll come back to. <laughs> As in fewer. Yeah, I think there needs to be fewer. I yeah, think there's yeah, one yeah, too yeah, many yeah. of them. Um, and then if you yeah, have a character-driven yeah. piece, but one of your main characters is underdeveloped and you like don't even know what her deal is and you only know because other characters say it explicitly a hundred times to remind you because they can sense that you've <laughs> forgotten, then you have too many characters. Yes, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Okay, but well, before we go into like which character we'd cut and, and how we would do that, right. yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think comedy drama is the way to go with this. I think this has the real opportunity to have this i want to slightly retrace my steps when i say mellow i don't mean as in like it can't go to the places it goes to with its comedy necessarily but as in i think it it can be that sort of like laid back almost like a richard linklater in um Mm. sort of style where it doesn't feel like it has to get on with the plot but actually it can just sit a while with the characters that are there and it can just enjoy the set pieces it sets itself up for. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to pick a few of those out, we have the restaurant where they go for a meal on the first night. Mm -hmm. We have the house after that. We have like the wine tour they go on on the second day and there's a couple of different wine places. So there's the kind of very refined, sleek looking one and then there's the organic one. That works as a kind of set piece. And then we have the brunch on the third day. And what happens from that? You have these three kind of set pieces that I would much rather see the characters. I'd much rather emphasize those set pieces, try and get rid of as many of the scenes in between them Mm -hmm. and try and emphasize this kind of playfulness of like just seeing these characters bump off of each other, seeing these, these years of friendship play out as they would of like friends who have drifted apart and are trying to reconnect Mm -hmm. and doing that through these longer scenes to draw it together through like literally three set pieces. You have the restaurant scene, they're all together. They're having fun. They're remembering the good times. You have the wine tour where they're split apart. We see lots of conversations between one in ones and twos, ones and twos, twos and threes. Uh, And that's where we see the group fracture. Mm -hmm. And then the brunch, they're all back together again. And that's where we see reconciliation happen. That's just classic. You know, these set pieces form a three act structure. And I would like to see that used to show, okay, these are old friends. We can have this extended sequence in the restaurant where we see that. Then we can have this extended sequence in the wine tour where we see all of the the fracturing that has happened over the years. And then we can have this reconciliation in the brunch. But that can be told in a way that doesn't feel like it needs to get onto the next uh, joke 
in a way that doesn't feel like it needs to get on to the next part of the plot and that can just say, okay, let's scrap as much of this plot as possible, as much of the stuff as possible, and just focus it on these women and the way that they, they sort of bounce off of each other. And I think that would actually offer much more to these, this kind of cast of women who improvise who uh, are known to sort of be playful in front of the camera and, and work with the material, but also build on the material themselves in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it would give them the opportunity to just have fun with it on set. And that would have been a more interesting, maybe a slightly more laid back, but a more interesting film to me. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I think there's too much extra stuff going on. And again, like going back to this idea that it feels like a first or second draft, there is so much Mm. that needs to be trimmed away um, that I I agree. I think this like three act structure that's centered around these three different locations, I think would would suit the story quite well. Um, The one thing that that does mean uh, to me, and I think is really something I want to talk about a little bit, is getting rid of the awful, like truly awful art show, art gallery sequence. Oh man, that was probably... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, it quite... Quite honestly, my my most um, hated scene of of what? the film. Just, I what a didn't feeble take it at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt so unmotivated and um, like I I wound up watching this movie with my mom because uh, I thought you know it'll be easier for me to get through this if I watch it with somebody. And I, the way I am with comedies mm. is you know I I tend to like laugh more and enjoy it more as a comedy if I'm watching it with somebody else. So I invited my mom yeah. to to watch it with me. And I remember during that sequence, like, we both turned and looked at each other and we were both like, <laughs> what is this? Like, what is this about? <laughs> I like, I, yeah, I was like, I don't, yeah. I, I turned to her and I was like, I don't know why they're like going on a rant about young people at this art show all of a sudden. Well, yeah, she was like, yeah. I didn't understand either, but I d- didn't want to say anything. <laughs> like, to me, that only makes sense if these characters get some kind of uh, revelation at the end that, that they shouldn't hate young people. Right. Because it's such a, like, that's such a weak take. It's so uninteresting. Yeah, it's like the same energy as, like, um, a boomer comedian be like, oh, my wife, the old ball and yeah. chain. <laughs> Like, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times before and it's a crappy take. And that's it, right, is there are a lot of jokes in this and that's maybe why I think we're both saying let's lean on the drama, comedy drama rather than the broad comedy is there's so many jokes in this that are just so tired. That whole Mm -hmm. sequence in the art gallery, I think sort of typifies it, exemplifies it. It's just like these these women in their late 40s early 50s and they're all just like oh i hate this modern art uh you know i don't understand why the these young people are so confident i hate that they're confident in themselves mm-hmm. which first of all like you know right now anxiety and depression amongst young people is an epidemic in the United States and here in the UK. Like to make this joke about like young people being too confident, I think is like in actually an an incredible amount of poor taste, but to give these people the benefit of the doubt and to say, no, 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 this is coming from, you know, a place of just poking fun and stuff. I just also think, you know, you're writing this and you're writing bad art into a film made by young people. And then you're saying, haha, look how bad this bad art is made by young people that you made up. Mm-hmm. It just it it's it's just like that doesn't 
it doesn't work. And I think as well, yeah, like just this whole thing of like, oh, you know, oh, look at you on your, your phones and stuff and all this. It's so tired. <laughs> and <laughs> ah, phone. And, the, and there were so many other sort of jokes that felt so tired. I mean, like the the one they do this extended joke with the wine tasting guy. Yeah. And he's like trying to tell them about the wine tasting. And I'm just like, I've seen this joke done a million times. I must have done. And that's such a niche <laughs> joke to have seen right. done that many times before. Yet somehow. And the only, yeah. The, the only moment where that reached anything close to good was at, like at the very first moment where he gave them all the wine. He started to say what the tasting was and they all turned around and he was like, all right, just buy it from a store then. Yeah, that actually <laughs> I was, like, was oh, that's funny. Good. Like, just cut it there. Like, I don't understand why yeah. that happens and then somehow they go back to talking to him. It didn't right. make any sense. But because it, it, what the film has to do is justify the women we're, we're watching rather mm-hmm. than make them seem like idiots against this guy who's just trying to, like, do his job. And, like... You know, to compare it to say something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. where like everyone around the gang has to has to point out how stupid the gang are to us as the audience. So we know that they're awful people. If what you want to do is is do this kind of like middle aged women going and getting drunk and like causing a bit of a ruckus in wine country, then you've got to show us that these are people that are you know, don't always behave as nice human beings Mm -hmm. and might be funny to us, but that doesn't mean they're people we want to be. And that just felt like a a moment where they're like, okay, we can't actually make this joke though because we have to make sure our protagonists are liked by the audience. Right. And I'm like, I still want to like them. I just want to, I also want to be able to say that they're flawed. Right. Like Like real people. (laughs) It's, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, know, like real people. Yeah. You know, like human (laughs) beings um, who aren't perfect all the time. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, I I agree. Um and I think um but I think part of this like spread out kind of messiness again going back to a, a criticism that I mentioned earlier was that there I mean yeah. there's too much going on and I think that stems from the fact that there is one too many women in the gang. Um yeah. and we may disagree on who we want to eliminate, but I think the character that you most likely could have that would have failed the leg lamp test for those unfamiliar, um, I believe this stems from a, a Christmas story where there is um, a, a, a lamp where the stand is a is like a, a leg with fishnet stockings, like it's in a kick line. And uh, the premise of the leg, leg lamp test is: Could you replace a character? Usually, it's it's uh, a, a woman. Could you replace a character in a movie's narrative with a leg lamp, and would the story still make sense? So applying yeah. that test to this film, I think you could probably replace Emily Spivy's character, um, yeah. Jenny, with a leg lamp and the same things would happen. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I, I agree entirely. I think what she does function well as, only thing she really functions well as, is a sounding board for a lot of the other characters. Mm. All you have to do is just be a little bit more economic and a little bit more intelligent with your writing. And you can allow those other five women to be sounding boards to each other right. and s- 
still not mess up the kind of fragile group dynamic that you're creating? Because it seems like she's just someone that everyone can unload things on so that no one else can hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can still do that where just only one other person has heard about it. Yeah, and they approach that, especially in the scene um, when they're walking in the vineyards and they've split up in twos and, and threes and they're chatting with each other and you know saying like, oh, like why yeah. is this friend acting this way? I'm, I'm only trying to be this way. Um, and she doesn't yeah. understand. And, you know, so there's elements of that. And so then it just, it makes this, uh, you know, sounding board character redundant because they're already doing that with each other, which is how real friends work. There's no like one yes, friend in yes. a real friend group that everybody just loads everything off of and she has no <laughs> internal thoughts of her own aside from being depressed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that that is, yeah, I, that's absolutely the character that, that should be cut. And I think actually what you do is you create this, there's a vacuum there for a, an extra element of sort of, fragility like this this mm-hmm. sense that the whole friendship group could fall apart at any moment whereas in the film right now that sense of jeopardy isn't there there's never really a feeling like you know there's feeling that maybe one of them will fall out with the group or maybe a couple like the group might fracture into a couple of groups but you never feel like oh these guys are never gonna all gonna never see any of the others again mm-hmm. you kind of want that sense of jeopardy there especially if we're making it more of a, a comedy drama right you want to feel like oh this could be the end of a friendship that has spanned, you know, two and a half, three decades. Mm-hmm. And that would be sad. Yeah, those are high stakes. To see something like that end. Yeah, exactly, right? So, yeah, I'm completely with you. I think we, we cut that character and you create something that is slightly more dramatic, which would be nice, especially if we're taking this more laid back approach to the sort of pace of the film, mm-hmm. then to have like to be able to ramp up the stakes for the third act would actually be quite useful, I think. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I think I think they're doing that would make the the stakes and the core of the film stronger. Whereas again, right now it feels like it's very much in this, you know, very spread out kind of place where it doesn't seem to know what it's focus is yeah and uh, again like going back to this sense of stakes like it seems like every character has their thing that they're upset about but they're a little uneven in what these things are you know for example you've got Maya Rudolph's character Naomi who doesn't or keeps putting off getting the results of her BRCA test which is um, the the acronym for uh, the gene that uh, indicates a higher propensity for developing breast cancer, which itself mm-hmm. is kind of like a wonky thing because <laughs> having the yeah. gene doesn't necessarily mean you will get breast cancer. It's not a death yeah. sentence. It just means that, you know, you have to be more careful and, um, you know, be more uh, hyper aware of uh, this yeah. possibility that you might get breast cancer. And people who don't have the gene get breast cancer. So it doesn't really mean so much it's not necessarily life or death in and of itself but then yeah there's like but she treats it like oh i'm gonna find out i'm gonna if i'm, if gonna, I'm gonna die, die which yeah. so that doesn't really yeah. quite track because that's not what that means but then also you've got other characters like amy poehler's character abby who has lost her job which i'm not really sure if that's clear from the beginning but when she says it at like yeah. the the you know scare quotes climax of the film to me it was news i'm not sure if i missed it at the beginning but it was totally (laughs) news for me and i wish it would have i would have known that because having those things like background context 
usually are more helpful for understanding characters' motivations rather than mm. making them a surprise, which then it's we don't really care about it because then not still nothing really makes sense like it's something that needs yeah. to be clear from the beginning like sort of like the the opening sequence is all of the friends talking with each other like as they're planning this event over the phone mm. and what i i think that was quite a missed opportunity because that could have been and, you know, and we see a little bit of these women's lives and we see like, you know, comical things that happen to them and, you know, oh, like, look how it is being older. But it could have mm. been used more effectively, I think, if in each of these instances we're, we're seeing, you know, each of these women in their lives dealing with these things, you know, like maybe Abby is like, you know, yeah. um, like on a, you know, she's also like scrolling a job search site. So it's clear to us yeah. that, you know, she's lost her job. But on the phone, she's saying, oh, things are great with work, you know, whatever. Like yeah. maybe she's yeah. like, I just got a promotion because she doesn't want to tell her friends maybe because she's embarrassed or because she's, you know, envious and doesn't want to or doesn't want to be compared to the success that she thinks that they have and do this with all of the characters. So, you know, yeah. we see that. You know, they are not sharing everything with each other, and which indicates that their friendship has not withstood the test of time as they might think it has, because they're not being honest yes, with each yeah. other the way best friends are, but they're all like putting on a front to say that everything is okay and that this is the thing that is yeah. going to explode at one point or, or another. Like you want to give the audience the, the bomb that's sitting under you know the chair or the table that we know is going to explode at some point and so then this you have this interesting element of dramatic tension and you know even suspense um depending on on the tone or how you do it that for the audience now we have this thing where we're thinking now we're interested in seeing what the outcome is because we know the bomb is going to explode, yeah. but we don't know when and we don't know how. And that is that, how yeah. you get an audience's attention. That's why how you keep them interested and invested in this story. That's absolutely it, right? And and this film, as it currently stands, it feels like it wants to hold off those revelations for us as well as the characters. And actually, uh, one of the challenges of being a, a screenwriter or, you know, being any anyone who sort of plots storytelling is knowing when to reveal things to the audience mm -hmm. and when to reveal them to all of the characters. And sometimes you want to reveal it to all the characters, hold it back from the audience. Sometimes you want to do it the other way around. You let the audience know and then you get this sense of dramatic irony, but also this sense of tension of like, you know that these people know something the other people don't know. Mm -hmm. And that is exciting to watch and i think would make you know if we can present in that first sequence all of these secrets that the women are holding back from each other and then the ne the very next thing is we're just chucking them into this nice extended sort of 20 minute long restaurant into the sort of afters sequence mm -hmm. uh, that we have at the top of this film and none of it is talked about none of it is touched upon we go oh there's something underlying here. Mm -hmm. We all know there is. They know there is, but they're just ignoring it. And then it's only then in the second act on this wine tour that we begin to unpick this this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, it's only interesting that people hold secrets back if we know they're, they're all holding secrets right. back. And we don't <laughs> know that. 
<laughs> we don't know that until about an hour into this hour and 43 minute film mm-hmm. uh, hour and 43 minute which is far too long oh, yeah. um and uh and also that climax you mentioned where amy poehler's character reveals that she's lost her job that's an hour into this film that's crazy There's another 43 that's so crazy minutes that we don't know it, that yeah. until an hour into the movie well and then when we do know like there's this like climax at this pavilion and then there's another 43 minutes of a film in which the only thing that really happens that i could point to is i they go to the art gallery which we're cutting because it's just garbage and then and then it's the brunch the next day that's all that really happens Mm -hmm. it's very strange yeah and she seems she says like these really cruel things to everyone and then after that it feels like she had never even said them yes yeah so what what we need really is the sense that we know that these revelations that everyone's going to find out Mm -hmm. they get revealed i think they should be revealed by the people that like are holding back the secrets Mm -hmm. um and they can still be revealed at that point in the pavilion at the end of the wine tour at the end of the second act but then you can't then have them all go to an art show and tell tell young people how rubbish they are right then you have to split them up or you have to take them back to the house Mm -hmm. but they all go into separate rooms and ignore each other they don't want to be near each other and i think that makes for then the next day, you know, like things have cooled off and they're like, okay, let's give this another shot. They go for their brunch. And then we see the final explosion of all of these things coming back together again and them having to reconcile with each other. That becomes an exciting third act that we want to mm-hmm. see play out. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think that, that that seems to be one of the missing pieces here where there's... I yeah. think just adding that element of dramatic tension and uh, dramatic irony with giving the audience information that the characters don't have or not all of the characters have, I think that's that's a crucial thing that this story is missing. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about Devon. <laughs> yeah, what is he doing there? What? <laughs> just, why don't you, for the listeners that maybe haven't seen the film, give us a little snapshot into what the heck Jason Schwartzman is doing in this film. Uh, I'm going to try my best, um, but no promises. <laughs> so in the context of the film, Jason Schwartzman, um, who, for the record, I think is a brilliant actor and a brilliant com- oh, of course, comedic yeah. actor, um, plays Devin, who, uh, quote-unquote, comes with the house as, like, the I guess sort of like their their butler or or valet yeah, where he's like yeah, yeah. He, he's their chauffeur is uh, basically a servant that comes with this uh, home rental um, and he cooks for them he drives them to different locations uh, aside from and like he makes like a giant paella and I also would like to say <laughs> that like half of the actors pronounce it correctly and then the other half yeah. do this thing that I don't know if Brits also do this but so many Americans will add an extra Y sound in paella. So they say paella, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's not yeah, what paella, the word paella, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like what? Just hit that yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a yeah that isn't there. Like they're adding a Y yeah, sound, yeah. and I don't know why they do that. But anyway, and, and Jason Schwartzman does it. I'm going to call him out on this. He says paella, yeah. and it's paella. He's canceled now. He's, he's canceled. <laughs> One Y too many. Canceled. But anyway, um, and I'm not really sure what he's doing there. I think, like, you have to either, like, make Devin a, a character character or yeah. you make him, like, you know, 
near cameo like one-off yeah. like you know he pops in here and there to like say something silly or like maybe the biz big running gag is that he's like you know his thing is the paella and that's it um but he seems to be in like this like limbo between cameo yeah. and like full-on secondary character and i don't care about him like I, I, yeah. I well, don't. this is it, right? Because he becomes tangled in the main narrative because he sleeps with Amy Poehler's character. Right. There's nothing else to him to become tangled with. Like there's no, there's nothing attached to right. him. He is Devon, and He's that is all Devin. he is. And so when you dig a little deeper into what you know, I, I'm a big believer of like VF Perkins sort of criticism idea of criticism that like every aspect of a film should be pointing towards one mm-hmm. thing like one like meaning and we already talked about the art sequence does not point towards what this film is actually about he does not point to anything he no. you know it, it's if we're looking for one cohesive vision for this film as a character he offers nothing to that and so therefore then every scene in which they're using him for comedy or they're using him for an advancement of plot or character is worthless because he doesn't point to any of what this film is trying to get at. Right, he's just extra and floating in that world but isn't like meaningfully tied to anything and doesn't help us understand anything about the film better. Um, It's um, it's nearly a one-off. It's like a throwaway line but a throwaway event. Like, I don't know why it's there. It doesn't, like, hold any, (laughs) you know, weight on the plot afterward. I mean, like, Abby says it at the, like, you know, kumbaya reconciliation (laughs) gathering that they have at the end. And she's like, oh, like, you know, I I slept with Devin. And then they all start joking about it. But aside from that, like, it doesn't mean it. It It's not relevant. I I think, exactly like you say, I think... One solution is is to give him like this paella. Oh, see, in England, a lot of us just say paella. We just don't. Wow. We just say the else. That's even worse. <laughs> um, I think that's better than than adding an unnecessary why. All right, you can make an argument for either it. way. Yeah, you're like, okay, I'm approaching um, this like with English pronunciation. Yeah, Rather like I'm not going to call Paris Paris. Like I'm. That's you know, fair. Okay, just, I'll give you that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So you could maybe have this running paella joke, or even use him as a way of like showing a gender divide or a generational divide on certain issues. Mm. Although I mean, he's not that much younger than them, but he just seems much younger than them in this. Is he? How old is Jason Schwartz? Jason Schwartzman, according to Wikipedia, is forty. Okay, so so he is like, like ten years younger than them, within the the script, right? Um, yeah, because the main character is turning fifty in this, in yeah, this story, okay. and more or less, so, yeah. he is ten years younger than um, at least Amy Poehler, who is forty nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, you could even have him playing like thirty five, and you could try and um, use him as a kind of like a. Uh, 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 to reflect like that slight difference between like the generation uh, these women are of like Gen X, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then like the sort of millennial, like older millennial generation of like someone like Jason Schwartzman. Um, And maybe there's something interesting to get out of that as well. If you wanted to do something with him and if you still wanted to have this sense of like trying to really identify, because I think this film, not only is it trying to get at like, 
women reaching the middle age and trying to hold on to those friendships from when they were they were younger but also like it is trying to make a comment i think specifically about this generation of women at that age which is fine like you know i want to hear what (laughs) these women have to say about this generation but like show me what they have to say about that through bouncing off of other generations Mm -hmm. and not in a not in a we hate young people because they make art we don't understand way because that's not interesting right but actually actually show us what that difference looks like in real human terms i would even say like you know combine maya erskine character jade the waitress at at the restaurant yeah with uh, devin jason schwartzman's character and yeah. make, you know, make this person that's, you know, their servant or assistant around the house a woman and, you know, leave the love interest element with Val, played by Paul Appel, if you want. I don't think it's necessarily necessary, but, yeah. you know, leave it or, or take it away. But combine them so that this person who is hanging out with them all the time is the millennial woman who as yes. they have this unifying thing as being all being women but it serves as a foil generationally yes yeah um, love that and then you know make make, make yeah. her a, like a you know a real secondary character that is like you know her commentary yeah. is coming from this younger person's perspective but can relate to them in the sense that they're all women so they have that element of shared life experience but you know is is this constant reminder that they're you know they're they're reaching their 50s and they're not you know the same people as they once were and you know maybe yeah. they have insecurities about getting older and it's okay for them to feel that you know even like you know the the type of film that it is it gives you the sense that by the end they should they learn that they are actually happy to be in their own skin and getting older is a a good and beautiful thing it doesn't have to just be a thing to be ashamed of or to fear but in order for them to learn that uh, they have to start thinking not that, which this film yeah. seems very afraid to do. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about having characters who are flawed, and it seems very fearful to make these characters flawed in a meaningful way outside of, like, platitudes about fears about death yeah. and working too much. Like, we don't really see that. I, I feel like with the way that these characters are presented, we don't see underneath their shells and I want to see that I want to see the vulnerability and the elements about them that are maybe not likable because no human is perfectly likable and every human thinks something you know problematic or negative about something Um, and I think you know making the Devin character you know combining Devin with Jade and making them one person serves as a more effective Mm. foil than just like you know having this one young person who we're supposed to not like because she makes art that they don't get yeah uh, with this man who like you know, is like a little goofy, but isn't really relevant outside of that. No, absolutely. And I think that that becomes a perfect solution to that. And I think is really interesting. I think what you're saying as well about flaws in these characters is so true. And I think it's, it's aiming so hard at being really broad and being this broad comedy. Uh, But like we've already said, it's not funny enough. And so it, it only scratches the surface because of that. But actually, if it was willing to take a few more chances with who these characters are, I think it could be much more interesting. The thing it immediately made me think of, which is actually probably a terrible comparison, 
so maybe I won't keep it. But in The Five Bloods by Spike Lee, one of the main characters is a Trump supporter. Mm, right. But we understand why he's a Trump supporter. And and mm-hmm. and we don't we you know we we dislike that part of him, but we don't hate him for it. Mm-hmm. That is that is a poor comparison. No, but, I think I think I I see your point. You know that like there that there is something unlikable about him, and presumably the audience that is going to see a Spike Lee movie is probably going to be yes, mostly exactly. left leaning, or at least you know not. Uh, you know, approving At least liberal, of, right? of like, somebody yeah. like Donald Trump, and it doesn't mean yeah. that you know one of these characters needs to be a Trump supporter because, uh, but no, like yeah. that, I think that kind of works in Defy Bloods because um, it's it, it's a very explicitly political film, and politics is yeah, a huge part yeah. of it. Whereas, like with this film, you know, it's not inherently political, and you know, you would find something else you know for each of these characters to make them unlikable but that still you know conveys that same sense of like they're not perfect people and they have flaws and there are elements of their personalities that maybe are a little ugly and it's this trip that is going to help them confront it and heal those parts of each other i think so i'm gonna i'm gonna say let's let's wrap it up there i feel like I mean, we did it again, obviously. We obviously. Always do. Um, <laughs> we don't we even did it again. Did it. No, I feel good about some some of those changes we've made. I think specifically just structure and character are just so important for this mm-hmm. and just pulling away from needing plot. You, you, you know, if, if you're saying this is kind of a little bit plotless and a little bit meandering, then lean into that. Mm-hmm. Make that part of what the film is. It's a weekend in wine country, you know? That's right. what it is. Yeah. It should feel like You that. don't need to make it high concept. Yeah, exactly. We've been t- discussing a bit on this series as we delve deep into netflix original as as a sort of concept mm-hmm. what is it that makes these films netflix original what is it about them that makes <laughs> us say oh it's oh it's another netflix film uh, what is it about this do you think that makes you say that well i mean i think big element that i'm seeing come up again and again in the three movies that we scene and maybe less so for six underground because i think that's in like a league of its own of of being horrid and and bankrupt. <laughs> but at least it, with something yeah. like you know love wedding repeat i think something that these two films have in common um is one again we've said it a hundred times but it's because it it keeps coming up that the scripts don't feel polished that they feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know if they were rush jobs, but this. Well, this is what happens when you release fifty-two films, right? A year exactly. As a you know, service. I think it quite possibly could have been a rush job, and that's why it feels like the yeah. first or second draft, where, um, you know, it the first half works fine, and then by the time you hit the second half, it feels like there are, you know, motivations that don't track. There are events that are happening that feel like they are happening because they're supposed to, but not because they are a part of like, you know, a naturally occurring cause and effect um you know Mm. linked set of events and then i think the other element is that it doesn't feel like it uses its medium of film or uh you know opportunities for cinematic style to tell the story you know i think it's it's interesting that we felt like you know the instinct to uh restructure is in a three-act structure in one location for each more or less for each act because that feels like a play to me um and it could work yeah. with this film yeah. but it, the w- this kind of story i think um you know it, it, there are potentials for it to be 
told in a cinematic way and uh, primatizing visuals to and and um, you know visually perceivable behavior to tell his story and it doesn't seem like it's putting them to use uh, at all um i think especially yeah. in stories about you know um relationships between friends or or character driven stories you have an opportunity to catch people you know when they think they're not being watched or uh giving the audience opportunities to see behaviors that maybe not all of the other characters are seeing or getting details yeah. of things in the way that people talk to each other or the way they be- behave with each other that you wouldn't necessarily be able to highlight in you know a play and it yeah. feels like you know, this film is one big missed opportunity for that. Um, it felt like I was yeah. watching a TV show um, and not a prestige yeah. TV show. And, and well, and my, actually the first time I wrote a Labbox review for this, I wrote, uh, this felt like it could have been spun off into a six or eight part uh, Netflix series. And I'm so glad it wasn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think you're absolutely right in in that thing and it actually brings me back to the thing i mentioned earlier about a lot of these these cast members are known for their improvisational skills mm-hmm. um i would have liked uh you know part of the the great thing about improv in film is you can be really loose in the shoot and then really tight in the edit mm-hmm. and that tell and that is utilizing that medium of film because you can tell right. when something has had a loose set but a, a tight edit i i think about another netflix original but one i would recommend is um auntie donna's big old house of oh, fun yes. they have such a loose feel on their sets mm-hmm. they in the, on their youtube as part of the marketing they posted this nine minute shot that they did of one of their, <laughs> their sketches bear in mind their their episodes are 20 minutes long um and this is one sketch and just one nine minute shot from it and you see the bits that made it in in that mi- nine minute shot mm-hmm. and it's so tightly edited it's so tight on their decision making and they've utilized the visual medium they're using. And I think you could have seen the same thing happen in this film, yeah. uh, but even more so. I think as well, the other thing for me that makes this a Netflix original, just one last point, is this very clean digital look. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say I'm any kind of snob. I'm like, let's shoot digital. It makes sense to shoot digital sure. when, we, when, you know, or, or, I mean, Roger Deakins is a big fan of digital and he has so much to say about how it's just more useful and it lets you do so many more things on set. So I'm not being a snob, but I think a lot of these Netflix originals have this really clean digital look where there is no, there's nothing in there that is artistic at all. It's just how can I present these events as simply as possible? Mm -hmm. And it's by using a high definition digital camera that doesn't, there's nothing in that that offers me anything of uh, visual interest mm-hmm. and there's nothing in that you, that is using the aesthetic to make the most of the themes, the characters and the story. And that for me is the issue. I mean, yeah. again, like, is there something in the history of Napa Valley of wine country? I mean, I don't know that much about Napa Valley. I feel like if I was American, I might have a better idea of it, <laughs> but is there something in that that could be then, has it been captured on film before? Is there something in there that could be used in its history mm-hmm. to, to, to launch into your, the, your filmmaking process? I don't know, but I just feel like that's something that as with all these Netflix originals, it's just like, 
I, it's the Netflix original filmmaking process is like water in that it just finds the easiest path with the least resistance. Right. And, and that's how the filmmaking process for this films, th- this feels even. Yeah. And it was the same with love wedding, wedding repeat. It's just like, how can we just find the easiest way of doing all of these things? Yeah. And that isn't what makes a good film. Yeah. And I mean, and I think, um, you know, as much as I love Amy Poehler, I think she's very talented. Um, I don't know if this was, the first film that she was she's it, ever, it was her, de- it was her debut, debut. Yeah. um yeah. i think i don't know i think uh, you know we'll see how moxie turns out but i think um <laughs> no and i'm saying i'm not saying that to be like oh, like yeah. a jerk i am quite curious to see how it turns no, out but no, i no. think you know it does feel a little bit like a like a debut in the sense that you know the the blocking is very simple the framing is very simple and not that that can't be a a stylistic choice but there is a you want to use the medium to enhance the story and tell it in the most effective way possible and again i i I agree Mm. with you i think this was you know path of least resistance just showing the events and not really taking advantage of you know the cinematic medium uh, where you yeah. know, you can do things like uh you know flashbacks and time jumps and you can do split screens yeah. and close-ups and well, yeah and just yeah that's it right the whole thing is in medium shots and occasional close-ups I, there was not a single shot in this film where i thought oh that was an interesting way of doing that or like oh that that told me this thing about the story that i wouldn't have gotten otherwise so i think i think in terms of you know the direction it needed some work and that is is, that just sums up the Netflix original mm-hmm. uh, thing, I think. Yeah. All of it just needs some work. Bro, okay, we did it again. We've done it. Um, We've saved cinema once again. And I th- I think as as episodes go by in this series, I think we are beginning to understand what is it about the Netflix original that is, it is like replacing this mid-budget studio space mm-hmm. where it is of higher prestige than these like old straight-to-DVD movies that used to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like it is of higher quality, but it is it's just filling this like space of like just mediocre stuff you can just churn out as a studio. Yeah. And that's what Netflix is wanting to do. It's wanting to treat film as content for their platform. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> that's yeah, that's so a little bleak. <laughs> um, but you know what? That, in it get, I, I gotta hold out hope for independent filmmakers who will yeah. always find a way to make their thing. I had the opportunity yeah. to see uh, um, an, a live interview with Ryan Johnson um, uh, two years ago, mm. uh, right around the time Knives Out was coming out. Um, and, you know, I asked him, like, you know, what, what do you think is going to be the future of, uh, you know, for independent filmmakers when we are, you know, little by little entering this realm where everything is just content and owned by these media conglomerates who all they produce yeah. are, you know, spinoffs of currently existing intellectual property. Um, and basically his answer was just that, you know, independent filmmakers will always find a way to make their things and maybe it won't be in the same way as before, but, you know, there is always a way. And, you know, he said, coming from the perspective of somebody who began as an independent filmmaker, you know, if you have an idea that you think is really good and it, you want to make it, then make it and, you know, mm. just find a way to do it. Because yeah. I think, you know, a healthy independent market is is important just you know to have an alternative for stuff that's just uh you know half-assed uh you know mid-budget yeah. or is just uh you know this endless stream of spin-offs of 
uh, the same IP. But anyway. No, I, and I think you found a, a kind of optimistic spin for my yeah. really depressing um, feeling about... Well, otherwise know, my take would be yours. Cinema. I just... <laughs> I had that golden yeah, opportunity yeah, yeah. to speak to Ryan Johnson <laughs> one time. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, no, Ryan, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free Thursday if you want to hang out. Thursday is the day that I am free if you want to hang out. If Only if you want only to. Only if you only want to. You don't have to, but it would be really cool. <laughs> Harrison, where can people find you online? Where can people find me online? I am pleased to announce that now I have the same handle <laughs> on all of my social media, which is a sense yeah, of boy. peace that I didn't know could be possible in, uh, yeah. in this uh, mortal coil. But you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at... Hiya Harrison. So that's H I Y A H A R R I S O N. And where can people find you, Caleb? Yeah, you can find me <laughs> online at Twitter. <laughs> Twitter.com. What, what a twi- Twitter. If you go to HTTPS <laughs> colon forward slash yeah, forward slash www. Dot, that stands for World Wide Web. Twitter.com. <laughs> Go to slash forward slash Caleb Lebster. No, I hate myself so much. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Caleb Lebster. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. And you can find us as a podcast at Twitter and, at and Instagram. Twitter. Um, at the Twitter. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Do Try This Pod. Come say hi. Let us let us know what you think. Yeah, tell us how wrong we are. And please, yeah, tell us how much you love the wine. Yeah, <laughs> defend it, please. I want to hear your takes. And yeah, please review us in app. Um, we we've said it before. We'll say it again. Give us a five star review, and then say the meanest thing you can about the podcast, and we'll read it out on air. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> We'll do you it. You think we're we'll joking, but we're we'll... shameless. We don't care. Yeah, we'll do it. I, w- I wish we had a big enough listener base that and that people there were enough people listening that some of them wouldn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's all people that would be afraid to tell us they didn't like. Yeah, it. not afraid. Afraid. What I mean. <laughs> they would be. <laughs> Yeah, if you tell me you Harrison don't like this podcast, uh, and remove your kneecaps yeah. if you say you don't like. The I've podcast. got a metal bat. <laughs> anyway, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, we. What are we doing next week? Let me find. Okay, it. <laughs> you better cut Come that on, in man. the edit, Mis- no, Mister. Uh, <laughs> tight editing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got me. He's, he talk, he talks a big talk yeah. about tight editing on, on in the films, but his podcast is loose. <laughs> that that those podcasts all over the place. <laughs> Have you listened to his podcast? <laughs> Boy, that's a, oof. that's a great character. Yeah, if you listen to this guy's you podcast, can, can oh, the, the the arguments I've made about movies. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. A spin-off podcast. He says he likes tight editing. You gotta listen to his podcast. Hey. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a spin-off We play these two characters, and what they're doing is they're doing a do try this at home to our episodes yeah. of do try this at home. Very meta, but not to like what we say about the films, but purely to the production side. Of right? Things. Yeah, content. No. Next week 
we will be looking at the documentary uh, Miss Americana Ooh. about Taylor Swift. That's going to be interesting because I don't think we've yeah. ever taken on a documentary before. No, it's it's a whole new format. And uh, the this is uh, maybe not the prime example of the sort of true crime Netflix docos that uh, pop up like every two minutes <laughs> at the moment. Um, They're but the I think only it- films that take less time to produce than they do to watch. Yeah, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think it will give us a new angle on this whole Netflix original thing. Yeah, to sort of um to look into. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, see you next week for that. Uh, and all that's left to say is uh, we did do try this at home. We did we did do try this. That was a maybe you like it production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. <laughs>